preach. Come on, let's go. Ready? We got a big, big message, and uh, I got, boy, today is about the immutability of God. The immutability of God. What a humongo subject. So here we go. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 17, if you would. Acts chapter 17. I love the way this, this works out. Um, Here's what we're going to commit to as I'm going to blow through and get to the very principle of this, and we'll see what the Lord, how he'll help me to come back to it at some, at some point if, if I'm to come back to this sermon or not. But here it is in Acts chapter 17. I like uh, verse 16. I want you to point out there. I'm going to jump down to 22, but I want to start you at verse 16 um, because of this. This is what happens in my heart so many times. Is, is the very thing that I see happening to Paul in this chapter of Acts. It says, now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, Timothy and his other Silas and his other uh, comrades, it says, while he was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Folks, let me tell you one of the things about that, that should be happening in your, in your heart and in your life is that this idea that, that the world and the change that needs to happen in the world, that it would provoke righteousness, his spirit within you would be provoked by the condition of the, of the, the land, the condition of people, the condition of people's hearts and of their lives that you would see because it's of all these idols. So I want to tell you two things. That leads off with is the idea that God is immutable, which means he changes not. Amen? Have you ever heard that before? God doesn't change. Okay? So he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews. Says that he's the same. God is the same. We'll reference that in just a few minutes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why does that matter to you? Why do you give a rip if he's, if he's immutable? Well, let's work on the opposite side what mutable means, right? What's mutable mean? Mutable, if God's immutable and doesn't change, then mutable means what? Change. That means mutation, mutant, see? So to mutate is a process, we could call it in the world today, you call it evolution, you can call it growth, you can call it management, you call it whatever you want to call that, but there's a process by which we were like this and we become like this. See, we should be growing in all ways to, to be like Jesus. See, that's the evolution for a Christian. It's that we're evolving from where we were here to what he wants us, from glory to glory. So let's look at this right here. It's in that, this sets up everything else we want to do. So I've got to go there. It's in verse 22 and 23. It says, Paul took his stand in the open space at the Areopagus and laid it out for them. It is plain to see that you Athenians, Athenians take your religion seriously. When I arrived here the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines I came across. And then I found one inscribed to the God nobody knows or the unknown God. I'm here to introduce you to this God. So you can worship intelligently and know who you're dealing with. 
So here it says, to an unknown God, that's what's up on the wall, therefore what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Do you know how many people are, are out there worshiping idols in ignorance? They, they, they might even name that God. It could be sports of any type. Huh? It could be music. It could be another... It could be a television show or a television series. I know people who drop everything so that they can go and see Jersey Shore or they can go and see some other drama that's on TV, some, some weird show, fascinated with it. It happens with American Idol. Some of you are in the room, I think. Got to stop everything so you can go and get that in. Hey, that's wonderful, but guess what? It can become an idol. What's, what's an idol? An idol is anything that takes the place of God. Why? Uh, what do you mean? A family can become an idol. How's that? Because you take the place of God. You begin to do things in pursuit of your own goals, your own desires, instead of that which is what God desires. Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, anybody who loves his mother and father more than me, what did he say about that? They're not worthy of me. Oh, what's God got against the family? Nothing. He created the family. What he has is he has against this fixation where we begin to lose sight of what we're really here for and his purpose in our lives. The attributes of God. This comes from a guy named uh, A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's what Tozer says. What comes to into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on and he says this, man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. So in other words, the more you know about how amazing God is, how big he is in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit, that's how much you worship him. Because if you think God is a puny God, guess what? You don't give him, you don't give him that much time. You don't spend that much on him. And that does, by the way, carry down to how much time you spend with brothers and sisters in the Lord. See, it impacts how much time we spend with him and how much time we spend with one another. Because what we'll do is we'll find it easier to surround ourselves with people who are pleasing to us. And guess what? Sometimes church... We're not always that pleasing to one another. Do you realize that? Sometimes it's almost irritating to be around each other. And you know what we have to learn? God's got something going on in that, doesn't he? God's wanting to do something with this thing. Why is he stirring this up in me? Well, not so you bail, but just the opposite. Instead, that we, we'll let, this, let him chisel away at us in that thing because that's going to conform us into his image when we respond like Christ not respond out of my flesh. So here's the deal. In our hearts, we know that that's true. It's not enough to follow God. That word has come to mean so many different things. It actually means very little. You've heard people take the name of the Lord in vain. Bob's preached sermons about that. So they go around, oh God, my God. They use God in all kinds of ways that express, you know, surprise. So what I did is I went to this, and I'm just going to give you a couple quick ones here. But it, it says in the end, 
it comes to mean so little. If we make up our minds concerning what he is like, if we just make up our own minds concerning what he is like, then we are just creating an idol in our heads. Because what we end up doing, we reduce him down. He's a puppet god. He's something that we actually control by our own thoughts, our emotions, our heart. It's our own desire. It's what we heard somebody else say about him. But he would say what he said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? See, it all matters for you and me is who do you say that he is? He's either a guy who passively stands by and does nothing, or he's somehow removed from from our lives and doesn't care. See, or he actually has done what the Bible reveals that he's done. He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways that he's gone before us, that he who made a plan, I'm getting down the road too far. He's going to continue his plan. The Bible says to praise God for who he is, especially in prayer. For example, I love to do, we, we do a thing called Psalm 151. I'd love to do it sometime uh, in any group setting, but it's Psalm 151. You know what that means? There's 150 psalms. It means is that you sit and you write your own psalm. And you get into your heart, one of your favorite psalms, and then you begin to reflect on it. I'm not telling you anymore because I want to be with you when we do it. What you do is you pen a psalm. So a lot of the psalms are like that. Here's what happens. If you end up giving praise to God only in a certain level or arena, what's going to happen is you'll only give him so much worship, and then you begin to ask God for everything. You ever know that? So we have this thing called Acts, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. That's how sometimes I'll teach you to pray. I won't teach you to pray that way. Why? I don't want you praying some formula. I want you to engage God. So here's the deal. Adoration means let's adore him, exalt him, let's praise him. Yes, thank you, God. You're worthy. You're the king of kings, Lord of lords. All Confession is God. Man, I've blown it this week. I know there might be obstacles for you here in my prayer, so I just want to confess those so I can come before you. Okay, Thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for how you've watched over me this this week. Thank you, God, for, for your provision in my life. Thank you, God, that you don't abandon me. Thank you, God. And now, supplication. Boy, God, do I need this, this, and this. And by the way, then there's that and that and that. And then over here, there's this and that and this and that and So what we end up doing is we spend proportionately only a little time on on adoration because we don't quite have the words. We might not be in that frame of mind. I'm only going A A through T so I can get to S. See? Those, that's a wonderful formula. I did it for years in my my early time because it was a process for me to learn how to pray and to to give God. And if you're still doing that after 20 years, bless your heart. I'm going to tell you you're not the same as when you began. It's not about do this or don't do it. It's about what are we really doing in the process? Make it that your prayer is an act of worship. Otherwise, what you'll do is you'll restrict him. And guess what? When you don't get the supplications met, what's that do to God? Makes him a little less somehow in your own eyes. Doesn't make him less. It makes him less in your own eyes. And what happens is, is that you are declaring. I I had it when you were up here, Susie. You're declaring the things that are not as though they are. That's what faith says we're supposed to do. So you can go around thinking people are foolish because they're saying things about healing that's going to come or a miracle that might happen, and you're just wrong. 
You're wrong because the possibility exists in God and he wants it to be that we will be pleasing to him. And the only way we can be pleasing to him is when we live a life of faith. Faith means proclaiming the things that are not as though they are. Amen? So what's that got to do with? That's got to do with God being immutable. He does not change. So if he doesn't change, how are you going to change him to do what you want him to do? See, we got a problem because if you're convinced that God doesn't change in the process, why bother then? Well, here's where change has to happen. Change doesn't happen on his side. Change happens on your side. That's what he's been doing. That's why he lays you on the floor. That's why he allows calamity. That's why he causes calamity. Did you say he causes it? Yes. Why? Because he knows what he's going to do to get us out of it. He's big enough to put us in the grave and he's big enough to raise us out of the grave. Don't you think that calamity, the grave is calamity? I'm going to tell you that was his idea. It's his idea. The calamity in our lives is his idea because he doesn't change. He knows that his perfect plan is going to, he's going to fulfill it. Guess what? He wants us to change in the process. And sometimes, just like our sister said, it's through that difficulty, through the crisis, through the tragedy. That's how I brought change. That's how God brought change in my life because I had to respond to it. I had to do something. Because if I complained, if I whined, if I, whatever I did, going back and forth, pacing the floor, I wore out the carpet. But other than that, nothing changed. So what's God want out of this situation? So definition, God, one supreme being, the creator and ruler of the universe. One of several deities, especially a male deity presiding over some portion of worldly affairs. So they call it the God of this and the God of Jesus actually talks about the God of mammon, doesn't he? Huh? You'll either love him or you'll love this. Whichever one, that becomes mammon. When you begin, that becomes the idol. Mammon was money. There's a uh, supreme being with reference to a particular attribute, such as, in this case, the dictionary says the God of Islam. Christian science has a supreme being understood as life, truth, love, mind, soul, spirit, principle. An idol, a deified person, God's theater, known as an upper balcony in a theater or spectators in that part. How about to regard or treat as God, to idolize or deify? And then here was, this is the last definition of God says, used to express disappointment, disbelief, weariness, frustration, annoyance, or the like. Saying, Little g, God, do we have to listen to this nonsense? Do you see how we use the the word God? In in what? Disbelief, disappointment, weariness, frustration. When you hear people using that, interject something that changes the story, that changes the narrative. You you can hear it. Sometimes they use the name Jesus. Sometimes it's God. Throw something out there at it. So here it is. Jesus came to reveal the God of the Bible, become flesh. God revealed himself in his book. Any deviation from that insight from here is to make him a made-up God. How many of you have been been struggling in areas of faith because you got some made-up God? 
You're embracing what other people are telling you who God is and how he is and what he does, and some of that isn't true. They've got that experientially. They didn't get it from divine illumination of his word. It's not divine inspiration. What it was is maybe some perspiration, might be some inflammation, it might be some other kind of ation going on, but it's not because they've actually delved into the Word of God and said, well, what is his character like? What is his nature like? Folks, you can't go by your experience because through time, there's enough that is to whittle you down and reduce you down to where all you got left is a a little cry that says, and he says that's enough. That's all he needs. And he'll, he'll listen to that still, small voice of yours. See? So they've got this thing called, this is called special revelation, which that's how we get to know God is because he's revealed himself through his word. So one of the ways is for us to, uh, through the teachings of the Bible, is that we get to know. For example, the God of the Old Testament is also the God of the New Testament. It's not two different gods going on. So what happens is, is it it represents a progression in revelation, progressively revealing himself And here's what I want to point out to you. He started out with full revelation. Do you remember? Adam and Eve had full revelation. They had the audience with with their creator himself who used to come down and and walk with them in the the cool of the evening. Remember? They had the audience, see? They already had the knowledge of the the holy. What, What did the devil say? What did the serpent say that they would gain when they take from the fruit of the forbidden tree? They know what he knows. He says, ah, oh, he's withholding something from y'all. And that's the lie they believed. Folks, sometimes in our calamity, in the trials and struggles we go through, sometimes we begin to believe somehow God's holding out on us. Guess why? Because the devil's right there to try to point that out to you. And what's his purpose for that? His purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal your joy, kill your desire, and destroy your faith. That's what he wants to do. He has no other purpose. So what's he do? He gets you to question if God's really showing you things. Then I love what it says. This is from uh, New Unger's Bible Dictionary. You know, read it for yourself if you want that. But it says the New Testament doctrine of God is distinguished from that of the old. First, in that it presents with peculiar distinctness and fullness the divine fatherhood. Second, it declares likewise the divine sonship of Jesus Christ. You want to know about family? That's where he begins to really unveil it in a spectacular way. God revealed in the flesh. The God-man is the fullest disclosure of the divine nature and is the redeemer and savior of mankind. Third, the distinct divine personality and peculiar office of the Holy Spirit are brought most clearly into view. And thus comes what at most was but intimated in the Old Testament, which is the doctrine of the Trinity. If you've read enough of the Old Testament Bible, you'll, you'll find in the beginning when it says, let's make him in our image, it says in the beginning, before anything else was created, what was the Spirit doing? It was hovering. It was roaming over the, over the waters. The Holy Spirit was already present. We didn't have to wait for, for the cross to happen for, for the Holy Spirit to, to manifest. 
the Holy Spirit men were being inspired. They were dreaming. They were, they were getting the interpretations of dreams. See, they, were, they had the reality of the comfort that God was going to be with them in the midst of the fire. See? They had, they had the Holy Spirit was already active in the Old Testament, but not as he would be fully for the believer in the new. So immutability means God never changes. It's why it does say that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unchanging through time, unalterable, unchangeable, changeless, ageless. So look at today, what's, what's going on. Our culture today is all about being relevant. You know that? Relevant. Relevant, you must keep up with the times. Change, modify, upgrade, revamp. How about the term, you snooze, you lose? And then there's this definition. It's, uh, it's, it's a paraphrase. Somebody else's. I just put it in my terms. The only thing constant about change is that, is that it is constantly changing. You ever notice that about your own lives? Change is constant. This morning, we're change. Katie and Kenny, that's change. Somebody else is going to have to learn this stuff. That's change. We're constantly changing. So why is that immutability of God important? It's important because of the fact that everything in our lives is subject to change. It's always changing, even when I didn't want it to change. I wanted it to stay the same. How many of you guys experienced where you wanted to stay the same and it changed? Serious? It was good. Why? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why are you messing with this? Guess what? So here's, here's some key things. One, two, three, four, five, six. Should have made it seven, but there's six. Ready? God alone is immutable. We must be mutable because we're the clay. Remember, he's the potter. If you didn't know that, that's what the Bible says. The potter says, Bible says that he's the potter and you're the clay. He's the one who shaped you and he'll mold you and he's going to craft you and he's going to continue to raise you up to invest in you that you'll become what he desires. So here they are, six things. His purpose will not change. God's purpose will not change. His people will be salvaged. I love that word. I thought about salvation. Think about what salvage means. See? Salvaged, restored, recycled. Man, he, he scoops you up, up, up off the floor and he puts, breathes life back into you and anoints you with a fresh anointing. And he says, okay, go get him. Wow. And you're, you're charged up again. You're salvaged. Why? Because you end up without him going according to your own purpose. You end up in a brokenness. You end up in this depleted state. You got all the dings and, and the dents and the corrosion that life has for you. So guess what? The only way to do that is recycle that thing. And that's his spirit in us. That's the living water that he gives to us. Refreshes and renews. Remember? The second one is his plan will not change. He's the creator. He's the redeemer and the savior. He's the comforter. He's the guide. He's the counselor. So his plan is he's going to bring all of who he is to bear into your life and into your situation. That means him as creator. That means him as savior and redeemer. That means him as, as guide and, and, and the one who, who gives you power, the Holy Spirit. The third thing is, is his provision will not change. 
His provision will not change. He owns it all. He creates, he establishes, and he bestows. He blesses. So his provision will not change. What does that mean? If he owns it all, if he can create something out of nothing, he's capable of producing for you something even out of nothing. You'll say, I don't understand how it's going to happen. And he'll say, that's okay, I do. And he'll do it. Guess where he comes from? When you stop pulling out the credit cards to make it happen on your own. When you stop taking their 18 months of zero financing and, and finding a way to go ahead and do it now. You wait for the timing of God. You wait for him to reveal himself. And what he'll do is he'll bring it to bear. Yeah, we might have to share the need. But that's okay. He can find ways to expose that too. Bring you to the end of your own financial capabilities. So his provision will not change. Why? Because he's the one who is his idea. You're his idea. His plan for you, his purpose for you, his provision will not change. His passion will not change. He still weeps over his people, over his church, over his bride. His passion, he already put it on display on the cross. He was willing to lay down his very life for you and for me. God demonstrates his love, his passion in that. Two more to go. His power will not change. He is the source. He's the source of all strength, of of everything, the accumulation of power. He's the ultimate place where power generates from. He's the one who imparts power, who gives power, who exercises power. He's the source, especially when we are weak. Especially when we're weak. The last one is, his position will not change. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. He is sovereign. He's the one who who has made the edict from heaven to begin with. He's the one who set everything in its place from the moon and the stars. He's the one who separated the waters. He's the one that said, it's time for the light. It's time for the bird. It's time for the fish. It's time, oh yeah, by the way, you. So his position will not change. He is in heaven. It says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's, that's who Jesus is. He says that the Father is on his throne. Then it says that he's, he's put out his Holy Spirit that will never be alone. And that we should seek him and wait. Wherever it has to be until we're endued with power that the Holy Spirit will bring to us. Come on up, worship team. Then I love this. It's Hebrews 13, 7. It's, uh, I'm, I'm going to cut it short of where it goes, but, but I'm, I'm going to use this for a reason. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 8. Do not be carried away. Here's why it's in there. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Because those are fads. That's what they call it. It's a fad. You know what that means? This color's in this year in in, in another... uh, Actually, it'd be more in tune in another couple months. Fall colors, spring colors... Oh, I've got things that are, I've got old bell bottoms and I've got three-piece vests and leisure suits. Those all reflect fads. You get that? A fad means it's popular now, 
but it's not going to hang around long. See? So what happens is, says, do not be carried away by vain, varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the, the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For there we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Seeking means to turn over rocks to find, to observe, crave, demand, to discover, or endeavor ways to praise him no matter what obstacle, the season or time it requires, the process involved. Wow. Let me ask you, what has to change in your life for God to be who he really is? Do you need to surrender an area of your life to allow him to be God? What makes life worth it? What you've endured, what you put up with, worth the pain, the sacrifice, the time, the money. What keeps you from the change that will make you more like Jesus? Is it an attitude? Is it a person? Is it a thought? Is it an incident? Why do we need to change? God's not flawed. We are. That's why God is immutable. And we need to be renewed, transformed, conformed. We need to surrender. That's why God will continue the work that he began in each and every one of us. Because we need it. I like what he says in Exodus 3. Remember, it's what transformed Moses' life. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Folks, it's the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ that he burns. He burns for you. He's the refiner's fire. What he wants to do is burn away the dross in our lives. He wants to burn away and consume everything that's a distraction for us. He wants to burn away and, and to annihilate everything that causes us to stumble. He wants to come in and be the all-consuming fire for us. You know what? I've got this one song we've got to play before you do yours. Can we do that? You can stay right here. Let's do that because this song makes... Here's what I want to know. This is a lady named Tracy Chapman. I want you to get ready for that video if you would. But I want you to consider as we go into the song, what in your life needs to change? You might think that it's going pretty well, but I'm going to guess that all of us would have... If we had flashcards, we would write on one side what needs to change and we could turn it over and write on the back side. You know what, what it is. Here's what it is. 
and here's what it's supposed to look like. Could we all say that? We agree with that? We probably all just have at least one thing. We could say, this is it. Turn it over and say, this is what it's supposed to be. Let's uh, watch. The words will be up on the wall here for this, uh, this song, and then we'll, we'll do our wrap-up and our final song. We need good volume. If you knew that you would die today, you saw the face of God and love, would you change? Would you change? If you knew that love can't break your heart, when you're down so low, you cannot fall, would you change? Would you change?
you saw the face of God in love, would you change? What is it? I just want us, before we do this worship, it's the last song's called Amazing Love. It's really peppy and upbeat, so it'll be good. We'll come out of this place we're at. But here's what it is right now. It's good for you to hang out. Is in that place where you're thinking about, are you desperate? Are you desperate? See, it's in that desperation where you will find God, will cry out to God. What kind of change needs to come about in your life? Folks, I, I'm so impressed. There's so many people. Um, if, if I would have the license to just share, I could go around the room and tell about what's going on in your lives. What I know, I could tell you about losing weight, people losing weight. I can tell you about people going to education, getting some online courses so that they can better themselves, better their lives, have a better career. I can tell you about people who are making amends, who are calling family and friends and saying, I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? They're seeking out reconciliation. I can doubt people who are going ahead and making doctor's appointments and dealing with issues that they know are present in their lives, but they've been trying to bury their heads in the sand, not confront it. I can doubt about people who are beginning to do things that they never would have done before in some level of desperation, and they're trying to bring about and see that change in their lives. People are doing remodeling of their homes. People are doing things with new cars and used cars and old cars. People are doing things with how they spend their time. People turning off televisions, getting off the Internet, throwing away computers. There's all kinds of things that change means. Part of it is, is that let it be that we're led by the Lord to have the change that God desires in us. Make sure that it's not just your change, that you're not bringing about change. Make sure it's his idea because he's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got the provision. He's got the power. He's got the passion. See? Hallelujah. Can we just commit that right now while that's in your heart? Would you change? Would you change? If you saw the face of God and loved, would you change? We would think that we would. That's why there's an expectation when we come to Jesus that our lives would be changed because we've come face to face with our Creator, with our Savior, our Redeemer. So, Father, we might have drifted. We might have just gotten a little off course. Some of us may be way whacked out, and we need to do a U-turn. So, God, thank you that you'll pilot that U-turn. So, God, wherever we're at, with whatever change needs to happen, I don't want it to be that the decree is, What I try to challenge everybody whenever they say it, well, this is just the way I am. Was that the way God wants you to be? Ouch. Thank you, God, for your amazing love that helps me to just hang in there while you're doing this work that you began in me. Each and every one of us. We say your love is amazing, God. It's amazing love how you just, you you hang with us and God, how you're going to see your work through that You don't quit on us. You're amazing love, God. Help us to love like you love. Help us to love amazing. Let us help help us to be amazing lovers of you and of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and give him our worship through that song that rejoices in his amazing love.